0: welcome to the bill kelly podcast i'm bill kelly well ontario finally revealed its vaccine passport system for nine essential businesses where does that leave us now and how does it stack up against other provinces also according to the new covid19 modeling data from ontario science advisory table the delta variant could send this province back into yet another lockdown how can we avoid that Dr. Peter uni the director of the Science Table, joins us. And the Liberals finally released their long-awaited platform yesterday. Is it what Canadians need to hear from them to turn things around? It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. As we suggested, and the temptation here to say I told you so is there, but I won't go there. Uh, given into mounting pressure from experts, business, and political foes, Premier Doug Ford is reluctantly forging ahead. With a vaccine certification system starting on September 22nd, Ontarians are going to have to show proof of COVID-19 immunization. Global's Dave Woodard has details. It's no secret. This is something that he did not want to do. But Premier Ford says what is now needed in order to keep businesses and schools open. We either do this... Or we risk shutting down the economy, which would even be worse. Having our hospital capacity maxed out and, and at the brink. Having our kids stay at home. That's what we're trying to avoid. But he admits he doesn't want this to become a long-term measure. This is a temporary tool that we won't use for a day longer than we have to.
1: Ford says he wanted Justin Trudeau to come forward with a national passport that they could use, but says the federal government
0: called a, quote, unnecessary election instead of implementing a passport. Dave Woodard Global News. So where does that leave us right now, here in the province of Ontario, and how do we stack up against what some of the other provinces have done uh, to try to be proactive about this? Uh, To get some analysis, please To welcome back to the program the uh, leader of the official opposition in the Ontario legislature, uh, NDP leader Andrea Horvath, joins us on the program. Andrea, good to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well these days. My
2: pleasure, Bill, and yes, I am, and I hope you are
0: as well. Hanging in there, as uh, all of us are. Your analysis on what you heard yesterday.
2: Well, first of all, it was far too late. Uh, other provinces are already you know issuing their QR codes, and uh, we won't get one until the end of october. it's uh, It's certainly full of holes and not as uh, comprehensive as uh, many, many wanted, particularly the business community who don't want to have to be the arbiter of uh, of these things. Uh, it, it should be a much more blanket policy. Uh, because we see what happens, you know, if if a business that's not covered by this policy, uh, you know, happens to implement it on their own, uh, they risk becoming a target of those very abusive, organized, coordinated uh, packs of uh, anti-health um, protesters, and and that's what they want to avoid. So uh, there's a lot to be. And I was shocked that there was nothing at all about uh, equity issues, and uh, I guess the government, you know pretty much said, well, they're working on it, which is a problem, because this needs to be accessible to all. Uh, So there's lots of problems with it. The biggest problem is here we are again with Doug Ford waiting and waiting and waiting and having political discussions with his cabinet instead of taking public health uh, advice. Uh, He's, I think, more interested in in satisfying anti-vaxxers than he is in making sure people are safe and that we can stay uh, open and, and fight the fourth wave.
0: I want to talk a couple of things here that uh, as I was watching that yesterday, I wanted to get your, your perspective on them. Uh, first of all, is the timing. Uh, this is not going to go into play until September 22nd. And even then, that's only kind of the initial stage. As you mentioned, uh, the whole thing, the app and everything's not going to be ready until October 22nd. Now, I am, you know, my listeners know I am not a tech genius. I get that. But uh, it just seems to me that's an inordinately long period of time to implement something that other provinces have done in much shorter fashion.
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. They should have been planning. Uh, this for months and months on end. Uh, and what happened yesterday looked like a really back of a napkin, shoves something out the door to quiet people down kind of effort. And Ontarians and deserve so much better than that. And we really do have a problem with the Delta variant. Hamilton knows that, right? I mean, our own town knows that that's a problem. But some, for some reason, Doug Ford was just uh, uh, he was in hiding for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And when he finally popped his head up, he, wa- he once again brought out a, a half-baked, back of the, half-baked back of the napkin uh, kind of plan. It, it, it's extremely frustrating and it shows a complete lack of, of leadership
0: what i'm just again i'm wondering about the methodology that goes into this because we know that the premier's been dead set against this and he reiterated that again yesterday this is not what he wanted to do we know that but i'm getting the impression in hindsight here that nobody else in the government even gave this a passing thought because the premier said it was a no-go uh, it, it seems as if as you mentioned they, they threw this thing together in the last 48 hours or so uh somebody if this is like your back to school plan you know you've had like six months to come up with something and all of a sudden you throw something together and say well we're still working on it uh, You'd like to think that government's a little more proactive and maybe a little more visionary than that.
2: Well, uh, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, as I said, here we are again. I mean, this is the M.O. Uh, of this government. This is what they do every time. This is why they drag us into the third wave uh, with their eyes wide open they didn't believe it was gonna you know they were gonna wait and see how bad it was gonna get and that was a, a big mistake and that uh, something that the science table and the other health experts public health experts were warning them against. so time and time again uh doug ford has you know has uh, been resistant to the science he's been resistant uh, to the advice of experts he's stubbornly you know gone his own way and and as a result hasn't been prepared and and look i agree with you on the schools piece but it wasn't six months. It's been 18 months. <laughs> I mean, they've had since last year, uh, almost two, it's, it's, it's been 18 months. You know, they had since last year to start figuring out what to do with schools. And, of course, as we see today in Hamilton, our boards have made some decisions, rightfully so, about how to try to prevent outbreaks and... uh uh, and exposures, uh, because the, the Ford government plan is weak. It's, it's not adequate. There should be mandatory vaccines in education and healthcare. There should have been a safe school plan, uh, that didn't to require boards to kind of make it up as they go or scramble to figure out on their own what they could do. Uh, I mean, really there are lots of tools that we could have implemented, but Doug Ford either takes the dull ones out or dullens them as he, he puts them on the table or doesn't bother to put them on the table at all.
0: I'm wondering about motivation here and, and, you know, forgive the cynicism here, but I'm just wondering if they were pushed into this. Now, Dr. Peter Uni is going to join us a little bit later on in the show today. And as you just alluded to, Andrea, uh, the Ontario Science Table have come out with their projections and their modeling for the next few months, and it's not a pretty picture. Uh, and they talked about the idea of, about uh, proof of vaccination. So I'm, I'm wondering if in anticipation of this, but they knew what that report was going to include that they said, we better throw something together here. So this seems to be the result of that
2: yeah i am I'm, I'm pretty troubled by what looks like um you know political interference with uh, uh with the information that should be public um and shouldn't be uh you know timed to help the government and i'm not certainly not accusing the uh the science table of of anything at all, but what i am saying is Doug ford can't uh, manipulate you know, information that the public should have in the context of a of a global pandemic, and so I, I was shocked when, uh, when yesterday, uh, well, the day before, we didn't get the, the report from the science table. That got p- postponed because uh, you know it was scheduled to happen Tuesday afternoon. It didn't happen, and then yesterday, after five o'clock, sometime after five. Uh, quietly on the internet, the uh, uh, the report was released. The the current modeling was released. All of these things are very troubling to me. I have a lot of questions on why things went down the way they did. Uh, but uh, shame on Doug Ford for uh you know for providing um, uh, for for lack a uh, lack of uh, of, uh, of transparency, lack of provision of information, uh, particularly in this uh, in this health crisis. It's, it's completely unacceptable.
0: One of the criticisms, and, and I admit I'm one of the people that's been probably most vocal about this, about some of the policies that the government's enacted, is they've gone in half measures. In other words, they don't want to go the the, the whole nine yards here because they're afraid of pushback. And and we've seen this happen with some of the other policies, and that, that puts us in a precarious situation where a couple of times now we've been forced into lockdowns, and I don't want to go there again. But let's talk about what they are suggesting as going forward here. Uh, after October 22nd, let's go all the way down to the beginning of this Uh, i can go into a restaurant now and feel comfortable that the people that are going to be in that restaurant all have proof of vaccination or they're not going to be allowed to be in there except the person who's serving me this they have exempted the staff in these facilities Andrea. i don't get that and they're, they're you know the ford government say well you know yeah but they have they can be tested the testing is not the same that doesn't mean anything. That just means they've been exposed to it. it. It it just seems to me as if again they're doing half measures here. Why not include staff in, in long term care facilities, restaurants, or bars, etc., like that instead of giving an exemption there?
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's full of holes. Uh, the government could have and should have gotten out in front of this, uh, but it was extremely late and it was absolutely minimal. Uh, and so and so now we have some businesses are going to require their staff to have. Uh, Vaccines, right? Some of the restaurants, uh, some of them aren't. But you know, who's going to know? Nobody's going to know unless the the restaurant uh, you know states that publicly. And then once again, you get those anti-vaxxer or anti-public health folks, uh, you know, harassing people online and in person. And so the very thing that that was supposed to help prevent that from happening or create like a you know kind of a, a common playing field or a blanket policy. Uh, doesn't exist and so this, those same behaviors are going to happen and my heart goes out to those businesses you know as well as i do bill they've struggled so much over these last uh, number of months after this last year and a half and they and many of them didn't make it and so the ones that did make it need our support and help they they, they need everything uh, that they can get to try to uh to help them get through. And yes, the other thing I'm really concerned about is when I looked through the details, it's not just a matter of showing your, uh, your, uh, your vaccine um, you know, uh, receipt, uh, which apparently is quite easily um, you know, forged, right? So that's a problem. Uh, but, then the, but you also have to have another piece of ID, which I guess is to cover off the forging potential. I don't know. It's a mess. Uh, it's chaotic. Uh, it's uh, it's really it's really far less than what we should have had. And there's still too many questions and too many uh, too many holes. And, and apparently, even when we get the QR code at the end of October, which is far far too late, um, apparently that's going to require uh, also having a backup ID, which is which doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, so I, I don't know what the heck they've been doing. Uh, obviously, Doug has had his uh, head in the sand again. Uh, not paying attention to what uh, experts and uh uh public health um you know public health folks have been saying and 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 we're the ones that are going to pay the price and hopefully hopefully we will not end up uh in a you know in an, another lockdown but if we do it again just like the third wave it was it's squarely on the on the shoulders of Doug Ford and shame on him
0: well, and we got into the politics of it, which I guess doesn't surprise anybody. You know, he talked about uh, the, you know, the unnecessary federal election. I don't want to get into the debate about whether it's necessary or not, but no. he was basically accusing the prime minister of passing the buck and saying, you should have done something on a national basis. Well, uh, and that's an argument that we can make, but the premier is doing the exact same thing here, Andrea. I mean, the, by going through half measures here, basically leaving it up to these private facilities uh, to say, if you want to enact something on your own, go ahead, but we're not going to do that. And and it's, that's the exact same thing thing and what we're looking for here is leadership and for instance I mean a lot of the stuff we've talked about here that's going to go in, into play here uh is for indoor activities only no outdoor locations are going to be required Vaccines, vaccine certificates well that doesn't really solve the problem uh and, and thank god I mean like you know I'm going to the football game Monday the, the Labor Day game at, at, at Tim Horton Field uh thank god some of these organizations like the Tiger Cats and Forge FC are being more proactive about this we've saw this in Manitoba uh, you know, where the Blue Bombers have said, you want to go to a football game, that's outdoors, but you better show proof of vaccination. Or you're not getting through the turnstiles. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we need to, s- to see happening here. And once again, Ontario is saying, well, yeah, we're not going that far. Uh, we, we we do this at our own peril, don't we?
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh, and and, and I, I think your analogy is correct. I mean, he's he, uh, he likes to deflect. He likes, not, he likes to deflect and, and, sh- and try to shove the blame on somebody else, but exactly what he's accusing the feds of doing is what he's doing to, to business, to, you know, to sports organizations, to school boards, to hospitals, to employers, uh, to, to everybody. And, and, and this patchwork doesn't uh, create the level of safety that people deserve, but the sense of security around uh, being safe in these venues and, and being able to go, out and start enjoying life uh, without having to worry about exposures and outbreaks. And so, you know, it's, it's reprehensible uh, and it's, it's really quite unbelievable that, uh, that the, you know, the biggest province of, in Ontario has a complete lack of leadership when it comes to our premier and our government. Um, as I said, it, it's just, it's just, it's, it, it's not, um, it's not leadership, as you said, and it's, it's, it's just not right. You know what I mean? We're talking about a really serious virus here that, that continues to mutate. And we're trying to deal with the Delta variant. We're trying to get that. People are doing their best and businesses are doing their best. And you're right. Thank goodness for those organizations that are stepping up and taking it on. But, but the government should have been there not only to create consistent rules so that everybody could feel safe and people would not be targeted, uh, but so that everyday Ontarians could, could feel secure and safe. It's it's really quite um, troubling.
0: I got I got one other I got a minute left here, but I got to get into this uh, about enforcement. And, and you just brought this up a second ago. Again, the onus is going to be on the individual establishments. Uh, he's going to say you know that it's going to be up to bylaw initially, uh, but that's not the case at all. I'm, uh, I'll give you a quick example. My wife Rebecca, she was at a grocery store. It was in the east end of the city in Hamilton a little while ago, and some yeah. idiot was running around with no mask on in the store and simply say, "My right, my right." It's up to the staff to do something about that. And I, I've got this picture in my mind now of of some seventeen or eighteen year old hostess or host in, in a restaurant saying, "I'm sorry, you can't come in because you don't have vaccination proof." If this guy or woman or whoever it is goes ballistic on them, you're leaving it up to that individual to do something about it. It just doesn't seem right. You're putting way too much pressure and possibly putting those people in a precarious situation. Uh, and and again, it's simply say, well, that's that's up to them to do.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And it harkens back to last summer when Sam Oosterhoff, the MPP for, uh, uh, for, uh, what, I can't even remember the name of his riding, um, uh, was out with his family having a big family gathering indoors and they refused to stay masked. They refused to follow the rules and he was an MPP and the, the staff in those, in that establishment uh, felt terrible. Apparently they asked several times for the, for them to follow the rules and they just, they just didn't bother. So that the staff in that establishment were left, uh, you know, trying to trying to deal with a, a very unsafe situation. It's unfair, and it shouldn't have happened, and it shouldn't it shouldn't be the onus shouldn't be, uh, you know, on uh, on those folks. But the, but the government hasn't done anything to to create uh, a sense of urgency around this, a sense of seriousness around this. Uh, the way that they've, you know, as you said, brought out half baked measures and. Uh, and really not stepped up to the leadership plate here, I think has just uh, allowed, you know, more of this uncertainty and, and more of this, uh, uh, you know, shoving down uh, to um, the least able to, to deal with uh, it, uh, the enforcement uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the keeping people safe. And that's, that's just wrong.
0: Well, we'll see how this rolls up in the next little while. We're going to talk to Dr. Peter Uni in a couple of minutes and uh, get the lowdown on exactly why we're in the situation that we're in. Uh, Andrea Horvath, official opposition leader, of course, in the Ontario legislature. Thanks, as always, Andrea. Stay well, and we'll talk again soon.
2: Okay, thank you, Bill. Take care.
0: Bye-bye. Take care. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As uh, we've been talking about, uh, the government policy that announced by the Ford government yesterday is uh, based to a certain extent, at least we've been told anyway, on information from uh, the Ontario Science Table. They've got to come up with their projections about how things will be looking in the not-too-distant future. And for weeks now, uh, we've been warned by health officials that the province is in for a pretty tough fall and probably a tough winter, for that matter, as the Delta variant continues to work its way through Ontario. So now we have data from the Ontario Science Table. Global's Darren Ballett has the details.
1: The latest COVID-19 modelling data from the province's science advisory table indicates that, like other jurisdictions, Ontario is in a fourth wave of the pandemic, with the Delta variant still posing a significant threat. Now, the science table says daily case counts could reach as high as 9,000, but a high rate of severe cases amongst those who are vaccinated is not expected. The table is, however, predicting a rapid increase in cases amongst the unvaccinated, with more workplaces and schools soon reopening. And in order to avoid a lockdown in the fall vaccination rates in Ontario will need to increase significantly above 85 percent of the eligible population. Darren Boland, Global News.
0: So uh, to get some insight into this, so pleased to welcome back to the program Dr. Peter uni Dr. uni of course, is the director of the Ontario Science Table and a professor of medicine and epidemiology at the University of Toronto. Uh, doctor, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me again.
0: As, as you've been looking at this data over the last little while, and I just want get your perspective on this do you get the sense doctor that we understand the severity of what's facing us here because i'm still talking to an awful lot of people that seem to think this is in our rearview mirror
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, look, I sound like a broken record. Uh, You may remember weeks ago, uh, we talked about that already, and it's still the same story. So first of all, without vaccines, we would be in complete trouble. And you know, there are uh, nations out there uh, uh, with uh, very low vaccination rates, that's much more of a challenge for them. But... Since Delta is just so highly transmissible, even with our excellent vaccine coverage so far, it's simply not good enough yet. So we need to get better uh, with vaccinations, at least 85 percent of the eligible population fully vaccinated, fully emphasis on that. But in addition to that, we also just need to understand there will be a little bit more needed also in terms of restrictions. And that's also where the vaccine certificates now, thank God, you know, come in very handy.
0: Well, let's talk about that. That was the policy that the uh, the Ford government announced yesterday. It's, it's, I, I think, taking a little bit too long to get implemented, but that be that as it may, I guess, uh, better late than never. Uh, talk to us about how effective that's going to be, because uh, it's in some people's minds still a very debatable subject that, that what this is, is this really going to do anything to reduce the numbers? And this is why, you know, we bring experts like yourself on, Doctor, to give us some perspective yeah. on that. Talk to us about the benefits of, of doing a, a proof of vaccination policy.
1: Yes, so first of all, it's very important just to realize we're in the middle of the pandemic, we need to adapt and pivot, you know, as we go. And the vaccine certificate story is one that will evolve as we go. Now, what is important to realize once more, go back in time and think about what happened when we moved from step two to step three what we did we added indoor dining gyms clubs etc okay and what happened as a result of that from a stable situation we started to see exponential growth daily case numbers start to go up, go up every day on average you now and this happened uh, relatively fast about 2 weeks ago now now we're, we're again a bit slower which is great which shows you there are high risk settings that we know that you know from a plethora of studies there are high risk settings out there where infections happen most likely and that includes indoor dining gyms bars, clubs, etc. If you now just have a situation where we admit to these indoor spaces that are at high risk of transmission, just those who are fully vaccinated and every single person who is fully vaccinated has a roughly eightfold decreased risk of actually having an infection as compared with an unvaccinated. If everything else stays the same and the behavior of people stays the same, this has to have an effect. And that's really important to realize. So the first thing is it controls case numbers more without us having to, you know, again, restrict all these indoor spaces more and more. And the other part is it keeps the unvaccinated out of trouble in terms of, you know, ending up on our ICUs. And while This will happen eventually that those who remain unvaccinated get infected. We need to delay the moment until they get infected so that the curve stays relatively flat over time until we reach the next phase of the pandemic. What will that be? That's when we start to vaccinate those below the the age of 12
0: and hopefully that's going to happen sooner than later. But the numbers that in your report here, I think are very telling uh, about, as you just mentioned, the the increased chances of you uh, getting the virus if you're unvaccinated, also the increased chances of if you're unvaccinated, you get the virus of being hospitalized. And I know some people are saying, oh, come on with all these vaccinations, you know, it's not going to be the same as it was before. We're already starting to see pressure in ICUs in some areas, aren't we, doctor?
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, the point still is we need to be aware of that. Um, and I think we talked about that before, but I repeat it. We still have more than 700,000 people around the age of 50 or more who are not fully vaccinated. And these people carry a very high risk of ending up in our ICU. It's uh, one, one in 100 or uh, even you know one in 50, depending on the age uh, during the next six to 12 months. So the more of those people we get vaccinated, the better because they won't end up on our ICUs again and won't overburden the system. But of course, it's also the best for those people so it's tremendously important now for everybody to realize the only way out personally and for the society is to get vaccinated fully
0: and let's talk about the the, the vaccination that is the be all and end all and and i know you've been stressing this from day one uh, and this report stresses it once again Uh, the vaccination works in concert with the social distancing and the masking and the other protocols that we should be doing anyway
1: absolutely you know this uh Variant is just far too transmissible that we will be able to pull it off just with vaccinations. And if you want proof of concept, again, just go to all the other jurisdictions. It's not working. Or just go to Alberta. Alberta is on fire right now. Why are we so much better? Because we did the right thing here.
0: Yeah, uh, sadly, Alberta and Saskatchewan seem to think that the, the, the whole thing is over and the numbers, you're right, are spiking is scary. I, I heard one of your colleagues the other day, I just wanted to run this by you, because I thought it was a very apt analogy. I mean, we're Canadians, so we're all talking, we're hockey fans, all of us, I suppose. Uh, he, anyway, he said, look he says, you've got to do everything. You've got to do the masking, you've got to do the social distancing, and you've got to get the vaccine. He says, the vaccine, to use this hockey analogy, is the goalie. Uh, you know, that's the last line of defense. you got to get the vaccination. Uh, you know, you can play without a goalie, but it's pretty difficult to do that, you've got goalie but if you don't have that and as you said you know especially kids under 12 don't have that uh then you're leaving yourself open to this and, and you're leaving yourself unprotected we've the, you've got to have the whole package and this is what i find staggering about this is the tools are there uh, you know we know about the protocol that we have to follow we know how effective the vaccine is uh, i don't understand why people aren't saying thank god we finally got this let's protect ourselves
1: Yeah, I think it's important, you know, just to keep uh, continuing just the the discussion that we're having. And there are still, you know, people out there who can be convinced to get eventually vaccinated. Uh, It's a pity for those who can't. Now, if we talk about those below the age of 12, I think there are two aspects that are really important. One is compared with many other places in the world, we're actually pretty well underway with our uh, precautionary measures in schools. It will be bumpy and we will need to, you know, play some of that by ear and see how it goes. But we're much better, you know, than, for instance, my home country, Switzerland, I can tell you. And, you know, Switzerland is a really privileged place and they just simply don't do the right thing if it comes to school protection. And then there's the other part, which is still important to keep in mind yes, it's important that we keep these infections as low as we can because if we start to have large numbers of kids infected, we also see these rare events of ICU admissions and hospital admissions more often but absolutely speaking for an individual child, the risks are still much lower than for an adult and that's also great news for us parents with kids below the age of 12. Do I want to get my kids vaccinated uh, once the vaccine is available? Absolutely and immediately immediately but you know if we have good precautionary measures and just move forward and keep the case numbers at the level that is not too high in the community I really believe we can do that it's important for kids now to get back to school the damage you know that was uh, just caused by uh, school uh, you know closed for in-person learning etc was just too big in the past we need to get better now on that one.
0: The premier mentioned lockdowns again yesterday, and I know you've talked about this, and it's included in the, in the modeling report that uh, that you released, Doctor. Uh, and I don't want to create this, you know, fear-mongering that, that it's, it's inevitable, but if we don't attain the levels that you've talked about, like the 85% or more of uh, fully vaccinated, uh, and if we don't maintain the, the, the protocols of, of distancing and of masking, uh, that, the, the idea of another lockdown sometime this winter is, is certainly a possibility, if not a reality.
1: Yeah, look, it depends a bit where you come from. I believe that we can avoid it this time. And why? Because I see how uh, we as a population actually just deal with this. And we did, as a population, a relatively good job in the past. It was never perfect. And, you know, we're all humans. It can never be perfect. But we did that well. And the point now is if we realize that indeed the alternative is that we just have a situation like Alberta, for example, then, and that we then will reach, you know, just our healthcare capacity will reach then again a situation where it's not vulnerable. Uh, then it also shows us that it's relatively easy to do the right thing. And the right thing means that we just need to fine tune the system. The the, uh, vaccine certificates will help us with that. But we also just need then to be aware of just that we look at where are most infections happening then. And we might need to be ready to restrict things a little bit more than just through the vaccine certificates, because that's what might be needed. You know, when you look at where we would need to see based on the models, uh, we are, we are, we're having, how could this look? It's probably a bit, you know, the modification of what we had during step two. And one of the modifications, of course, is we can leave high risk settings open if we restrict it just to fully vaccinate the people. That's important. But there may be some situations where we just see, look, the capacity limits are not the right ones. We need to reduce capacity and do some other aspects. We need to be creative and see how it goes during the next few weeks and months.
0: With that in mind, uh- Are you comfortable with what the the government's proposing right now, or do you think maybe they could have gone a little further?
1: Oh, I'm absolutely thrilled that we are where we are right now. Excellent. Uh, The point is, you know, we can always say, oh, we want more and more, but we shouldn't be greedy here. First of all, what we know, you know, from from a great many studies is that indoor dining um, and uh, gyms, for example, are the top culprits for transmission. We know that, you know, from mobility network analysis, already published last year, beautiful analysis done. And, you know, the, then the next level, you know, that comes after that, where infections probably happen based on these analysis are places of worship. That's a bit of a hot potato. So where the government didn't go there, I can understand this also. You know, it's right now, the, the point is you use certificates for discretionary spaces. And then, you know, the places of worship are a bit of a borderline situation. And uh, and places such as you know personal care or so play less of a role if you look at all of the different analyses. So I think what they did is absolutely supported by data
0: and, and- to your point, I i think Dr. Moore mentioned this. Uh, Dr. Moore, of course, the chief medical officer, uh, who was part of the the announcement yesterday, uh, suggested that this is this is very malleable. In other words, as as ju- you just mentioned, if they see a spike or if they see a problem, they can extend this even further to some of the places uh, that, at this point, anyway, are going to have exemptions. So that's got to be, I guess, encouraging. But what what about outdoor facilities? Now, I know as you've talked about, Doctor, it's not as transmissible outdoors as it is in indoor facilities. We we all understand that, but other ger- jurisdictions are going to the next level I'm, we use the example of manitoba for instance uh, you want to go to a winnipeg blue bomber football game there you've got to show proof of vaccination or you don't get in the stadium that's an outdoor facility i'm going to the football game on monday here in hamilton now thank god uh, the, the tiger cats are being proactive on this but should we be wary of that about larger outdoor gatherings now too? be uh, uh, do we have I, I just don't want people to have this false sense of security that, don't worry it's it's not going to be a problem there
1: no, of course you can also mess it up outdoors. If you uh, behave wrongly, it can happen. It's the risk is much lower. But first of all, what we need to be aware of. Outdoor facilities are not entirely outdoors. Typically, you know, there are corridors, yeah. there are toilets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, if it's large, crowded settings outdoors, it will probably be the same story. Then we need to be aware of that. The risk will still be lower, but you know, I mean, if you you can just go to Euro 2020, basically a few weeks yeah. ago, of course the football stadiums were outdoors, you know, but there was so much happening indoors that in the end we just had you know this entire challenge with the bomb that you saw you know a very steep wave that was all Euro 2020 you know it's for me as a European it's embarrassing to say but they really completely messed that up
0: well sure I mean you can say you know know, you're sitting in the grandstand but you have to go to the the concession stand you're going to the washroom you're you're indoors and it's crowded people are in line absolutely I'm, I'm going to be interested to see just what happens there. But I know some facilities are doing that, I, but you're comfortable at least. And, and, you know, we need to, I guess, look at this as the glass is half full. Uh, at least there's a policy in place here. It may not be as extensive as some people want, but it, it's it's a good start then. that that seems to be your read on this now.
1: Absolutely. Now we need the tool in our toolbox and then we can use it wisely in the future. If we don't have the tool, what do we care?
0: So with that in mind and going forward on this now, uh, with these projections, and, and you've talked about this, Dr. Moore mentioned this, that it was going to be a tough fall and winter. Uh, from a, a standpoint of expectations here, Doctor, are we pretty much looking at spring of 2022 uh, to suggest that maybe we can come out the other side of this? And I, and again, I'm, I'm basing this all on, on your projections, but at the same time hopeful that the vaccination rate is going to climb up to that 85 to 90% that you've talked about.
1: Yes, I believe that this is a realistic time frame that you're mentioning. So the next step, of course, is we start to open schools and then, you know, something which really worries me is the long weekend, you know, uh, yep. uh, that's, that's coming right now. We will see this impacting again our numbers potentially. But then we need to keep schools, even though a bit wobbly, as safe as we can during the months before we can start to vaccinate the kids below the age of 12. That's the next step, the next thing we need to have No. Keep schools as safe as we can, that we can keep in-person learning going, and then we start to vaccinate. What happens after that? After that, those people who are not fully vaccinated will, uh, unfortunately, most of them need to get immune before this all starts to, you know, slow down. Most of them will get immune then, unfortunately, through uh, infection. And uh, we then need to make sure that these infections happen in a way that our healthcare system is not overburdened. And then this will go into, you know, cha- if we can st- if start to vaccinate perhaps in December, the kids, this will go into January, February, March, indeed, perhaps April, it will get warmer again. And uh, most people will either then be immune through vaccination, hopefully nearly all of them or through infection. And then we start to go into what we call endemic phase of the of this uh, pandemic, and the. Mis- meaning uh, you know there's still ongoing uh, infection in the in the province but it won't overburden the healthcare system anymore and of course the good weather next year then will help us again and it will look much different. having said all of that this is under the assumption that we don't have another curveball with something even worse than the delta variant but i'm relatively optimistic that we can pull it off
0: got a minute left again one other thing there's one other number i'm going to be very interested in looking at doctor we've talked about spikes in new cases uh there's another spike that's a very positive spike and we hop, we saw this in british Columbia the other day because they've already implemented their proof of vaccination policy uh, the day after it went into effect there was 124 percent increase in the number of people wanting vaccines uh that before that had not even requested them uh that's happened in quebec when they instituted their policy i'm hoping we see that kind of a number in ontario as well
1: Absolutely, that's the point again, you know, we need to be aware of that there are various effects of these vaccine certificates, and one of them is that people just say, oh, whatever, you know, or I can't be bothered, or I don't need it, etc. If it starts to be inconvenient for those people not to be vaccinated, they eventually will get vaccinated, you know, it is no different than, you know, wanting to drive a car, if you want to drive a car, you need a driving license. If you want to enter just, you know, indoor dining, you just need to have a vaccine certificate that shows that you have had two doses. What's the deal here?
0: Well, I certainly hope that's got a consequence of this, too. Doctor, always great to get your perspective on this. Thank you so much for the uh, the great work that you and your uh, panel are doing on a daily basis here. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon
1: sounds good thanks a lot for having me bye bye Thank
0: you. bye dr peter uni director of the ontario science table you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml we are, of course, uh, in the midst of a federal election here in, in the province. September 20th is going to be voting day. Yesterday, a uh, big day for the Liberal campaign uh, on the campaign trail. Uh, they, uh, with a, About a week to go now before the leaders' debate, uh, the Liberals finally released their uh, policy platform for this uh, election. Global's Miranda Anthistle has some details for us.
2: In Toronto, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is meeting with Canadians still too young to vote. He greeted the excited students along with Toronto Raptors president, Masai Giri, following the reveal of his party's fully costed election platform, two and a half weeks into campaigning.
3: We have a plan to move forward for everyone.
2: The Liberals are promising to invest $70 billion over five years for post-pandemic recovery.
3: We continue on our responsible choice of investing in things that will grow our economy, investing in the fight against climate change, investing in child care because we know that that sets us on a path of growth.
2: Trudeau was questioned if Canada can afford his proposed plan, costing roughly three times the projected revenue. Trudeau stood firm.
3: It is responsible, it is prudent, and it is fully transparent.
2: But the Conservatives are calling the platform Recycled Promises.
3: Both the Auditor General and the Parliamentary Budget Officer found that the Liberals failed to get billions of dollars out the door for projects.
0: Uh, That, of course, uh, Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, with his uh, perspective on what's going on. So, what kind of an impact is this going to have on the election and the numbers uh, for not just the leadership, but of course uh, the overall election results? Joining us to talk about this, uh, to get his analysis, is Mohammed Ali, who is the senior consultant with Crestview Strategies. Uh, Mohammed, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for the time today.
3: Thanks for having me. Good morning.
0: Knowing election strategies as, as you do, uh, invariably, when a, a, especially a party leader presents something uh, such as Justin Trudeau did yesterday, you're hoping there's going to be a wow factor that's going to grab people's attention. Was there a wow factor yesterday?
3: Uh, you know what? I don't. I don't say there was a big wow one because you know, you know, leading up to it, they'll announce a different number of pieces. I think the wow one for me personally was the housing uh, policy that they announced. It was quite robust, uh, but that was already announced, So it doesn't really give the same wow factor coming in the platform. And so the platform is really much a, "here's a little bit for everyone kind of approach I find.
0: $78 billion in new money over the next five years, a, a, a big part of that. I guess that's one of the headlines, one of the takeaways from this whole thing. Uh, Mr. O'Toole's assessment, uh, as Mr. Singh's was, is that this is a, basically a, a recycling of some of the stuff that they've done or some of the things they've already made commitments to as well. Uh, and, and this laid into a campaign. I mean, we've only got, what, uh, 19 days, I guess, until the uh, the actual voting day. Uh what does uh, any party, whether you're a liberal, NDP, or conservative, what do they need to do to grab people's attention? Because uh, if, if in fact, you know, the theory holds true that a lot of people seem to be uh, advocating right now is that after Labor Day, we're all going to start paying much closer attention. Uh, and they're going to say, oh, I didn't know about that. Is, is there something here that they can grab onto? The housing policy is, is certainly addressing a need that I think a lot of people in this country are feeling right now. Uh, but is it, is, is it a, 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 a ballot box issue for them?
3: So you know, it's interesting. Some of the polling that shows uh, housing being number one, especially in the, in the Greater Toronto Hamilton area, it's, it's it's a number one issue for a number of folks. Even especially millennials who are trying to get into the housing market. Uh, new immigrants coming in, um, and it's kind of kind of spread across the country now. So even like rural Ontario, rural Alberta, like there are places that we never heard of having housing issue prices, are now having them. Uh, and so having a, a really aggressive plan is key. Uh, You know, you're seeing a little bit with, you know, it's interesting because the the NDP and the Conservatives, you know, announcing their platform quite early, right in the beginning of the the election was a way for them to get people talking about them because the pandemic has kind of taken away their ability to really penetrate the the noise because a lot of, uh, you know, rightfully so, the focus was on government support for Canadians, how to get through this pandemic. And so the Liberals had that advantage of really speaking to Canadians on the regular and having their ear. And so this is an opportunity for them to kind of get out early, because like, oh, and elections are going on. So then it immediately perks out people's attention. Um, and for the liberals to come out at this point, it's not unusual for an incumbent to come out much later into the campaign, uh, especially as you as you noted, like after Labor Day is when people really start paying attention, kids are back in school, the day-to-day life of, of how uh, election platforms will impact them will become much more uh, front and center for them.
0: Yeah, I think they made that a... Uh, uh... Particular uh, a comparison yesterday, uh, as the budget was being rolled out, because uh, you're right—that was uh, not the budget, but the, the platform—that uh, it was uh, awfully late. But uh, if you look at the last federal election and the one before that, this is just around the same time uh, that they've released their platform. So I guess you know there, there's obviously some analysis going into this, and and some some background as to exactly what's going to be the most effective. But the idea of getting out there early—well, the NDP actually announced theirs before the election was called. Mr. O'Toole, I guess it was the day after uh, they came out with their booklet and and their policy. It seemed to be effective, though, because he, you know, it, 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 to believe some of the polls, uh, especially the day the the writ was dropped, uh, the Liberals had anywhere from a six- to eight-point lead. Uh, that's evaporated now. Is 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 there something uh, Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives are doing to whittle away of that, or is this just the natural progressions of things as, as an election goes in?
3: I think there's a, a bit of both. Uh, I think one was uh, the, the Liberals were kind of knocked off their message early. Uh, obviously, the situation in Afghanistan kind of dominated the first week um and kind of took away from the ability to talk and the conservatives as i was saying like you know it got them to be at the front of the news so they had something to talk about something new like hey we're gonna do this we're gonna do that we're gonna do this we're, we're different we're not the same you know they're trying to play that message and they did a, a very good job you know they had a very good digital campaign that's going on um they really got out there and talking to canadians but then i think the then it started to settle down uh, once the initial kind of interest and speculation and um, coverage was going on. Uh, Canadians kind of settled down because you know there is still uh, summer's going on. People are still outdoors. They're not fully in- attuned to what's going on. So some of the other pieces, people didn't catch after. And so now with with you know today's uh, the first TVA debate uh, that's going to be in French and Quebec. So there'll be more people kind of paying attention now. And so you you really have to balance yourself. You want that right um, sweet spot, depending on where you're trying to advance. Uh, if no one knows who you are, it's good to get out early so you have time to socialize your plan and your leader. Because no one, not a lot of people knew it. There no tool. Um, they knew Me, but Jag you know the NDP have kind of uh, historically always come out early with their platform. Um, and so the Conservatives wanted to really get in front of uh, you know Canadians quickly talk about what they what they wanted to. And now you're starting to see where. People are now understanding, hey, like
0: now the three major platforms are all, where do I fit? Talk to us about the, the campaign strategies, and I mean the, the physical strategy of, of campaigning itself, uh, because it's, it's two different approaches that we've seen here. Uh, uh, Justin Trudeau and, and to a large extent, Jagmeet Singh have been out there as much as you can, pressing the flesh uh, during a pandemic. It's it's obviously forearm bumps as opposed to hugging and things like this, uh, for the most part. But it's been out there, and and we've seen, by the way, of course, some of the negative response to uh, Justin Trudeau out in public. Uh, you know, the the anti-vaxxers and a number of other people, the, the 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 vile behavior of some people out there. But that's that's made news. That's what's in people's minds right now. Aaron O'Toole, on the other hand, has uh, <laughs> done a lot of his campaign. Painting so far, anyway, from a TV studio in Ottawa, uh, basically, t- you know, with Zoom meetings, etc., and going out there, he has made some uh, personal appearances, but not nearly as many as the other two. Uh, with the success that he's enjoyed right now does that indicate that his strategy is the more effective strategy?
3: I, you know, I don't think the his his choice and whether he's doing in person or uh, or at his at uh, made made a studio in Ottawa is really you know it helps him to, to be able to maybe call-in to a number of folks across the country. Obviously, those are often pretty screened, so talking to very favorable people often. Um, But I think what we'll see is, you know, there's a bit of people who also like a little bit of interaction, um, and it helps kind of putting yourself out there and being more front and center of of locations to show that, hey, I I care about this region. Um, So you'll see, like, you know, Trudeau announced uh, his platform in Toronto. Obviously, the GTA is a critical piece to any party-winning government, uh, the 406, and 905. Uh, if you're announcing an environmental plan, uh, you, you're usually out in BC. You're announcing an energy plan. Sometimes you'd be in Alberta. So there's different places like you like to be to showcase, I get the local issues. Here's my plan for the country. Uh, so sometimes it can be a hit or miss. We'll see You know, later on after the election if the strategy that Aaron Tools which is new and is unique, is much more digital-oriented. If that's successful, I think you'll start seeing some copycats uh, in the future on that.
0: You mentioned, uh, I think even when the rip was dropped on this, that you thought one of the keys uh, was if the Conservatives ever hope to win this election, uh, that they've got to, as you say, make inroads around the uh, the, the GTHA, uh, you know, the 905, 416 area codes, and and basically in large urban centers. It's it's really not just the Toronto, Hamilton, uh, London areas like that. It's it's Ottawa. It's it's well, Montreal. It's even Calgary and Edmonton places like that where they they have not scored extremely well in major urban centers. Uh, are, are they doing things differently to try to attract that? Do you see that they've tried to address their campaign and their platform to uh, to, to, to make inroads there?
3: Yeah, you know they—they, they, you know, credit to them, they have tried to make uh, inroads there, uh, trying to soften their tone. I think you know, Conservatives had uh, you know of a brand over the last couple of elections of uh, being much more uh, angry or, or tougher and not very like you know urban friendly, so to speak, if that's fair to say, um, particularly in the GTA, the Metro Vancouver, the Montreal area. Uh, so they're really just trying to like moderate himself. You know, they finally came out with you know, I think. Uh, it's a breath of fresh uh, air, an environmental plan that kind of is workable, uh, which is important to a lot of voters uh, across the country, particularly in urban centers. Uh, and, but also just, you know, being more cognizant of what's going on. Uh, you know, most seats are in the urban centers, so you do need to, to uh, court them. Um, but I think they sometimes still have, you know, the conservatives have a challenge often because there is their base. Uh, often it's in you know a prairies base, which are not very similar in, in, in the priorities as Eastern Canada would be, and rightfully so in you know, a regional division. So, um, you know, they're trying to find that right balance, and you're seeing a few hiccups here and there. I know things like Sher Galans' position on the environment that's coming up, and, and where does Andrew to stand on that? Uh, you know, obviously the the Liberals try to find wedge issues with uh, with abortion and with his views on vaccinations. Again, those are, are weren't sticking as much, but. They've kind of stuck around a little bit here and there, and you're going to see that probably a little bit in the debates, particularly the French ones, where uh, Quebecers are very much keen on being on these on these issues. Uh, and so where where were the conservatives stand uh, at the end of this? Well, we'll see if, if things change a
0: little bit. In the last election, uh, the social conservative issues uh, was something that Andrew Scheer was very uncomfortable with, and uh, the analysis seemed to be that that really hurt them in a lot of the urban centers, I mean, abortion being one of those issues and a number of others, uh, that many people seem to think that the conservative policies uh, were too far to the right, uh, or at least threatening to be even further than, than people were going to be comfortable with, uh, which I guess is maybe one of the reasons why uh, why uh, Justin Trudeau talked about abortion as much as he did uh, during the platform uh, inaugura- introduction to it yesterday. The other element, though, I wanted to ask you about, and I'm glad you brought it up, is the vaccination program. Uh, the anti-vaxxers seem to be hounding uh, Trudeau from place to place. Uh, there seems to be some indication now that this is uh, a concerted and, and planned uh, p- protocol to try to try to embarrass him but God knows who's behind it at this stage, but I guess that'll be known. Uh, but Mr. O'Toole, of course, is taking the other tack on that and simply saying he would not mandate vaccinations uh, and and would basically leave it up to individuals. Uh, how's that going to play in those large urban centers?
3: You know, I think it's a it was a very uh, risky play for, for Aaron O'Toole. Again, I think he's trying to balance his internal politics. I don't think all his candidates are, are in favor of mandated vaccines um and and you're seeing in urban centers where it's the highest kind of uptake in vaccinations and you know every province almost you know majority of provinces are now mandating vaccines in some way you know the the three biggest uh provinces and now ontario as of yesterday quebec um, and bc all have mandated vaccines manitoba does as well and some of these are conservative governments as well and you know seeing the reality of you know how do we make sure that people who are vaccinated are not bearing the brunt of needing more lockdowns and such i don't think anyone wants a lockdown again Uh, and i think we you know vaccine passports and vaccine mandates are seen and very popular across the country you know that's important point is they're very very popular uh so being on the wrong side of that and and on public health i think it's going to be very concerning and you saw that in his first french language sort of interview uh, with Radio Canada uh, this past weekend where he was hounded about, would you appoint an anti-vaxxer as your Minister of Health? And he wouldn't answer it uh, because I think he doesn't know what he's, and I think he's playing a very finicky line right now of, of where uh, vaccine mandates can play because it's, it is quite popular, but he doesn't want to really go too deep into it because there is a risk of him
0: losing votes. We've Got about 60 seconds left here. Uh, the, the latest nano's polling today actually has the Conservatives ahead by four points now, uh, and there are other polls I'm sure that are going to show you know similar situations. But the fact of the matter is, is uh, the Liberals seem to be playing catch up right now. Uh, do you start looking for the, for the home run here, or can you keep use the baseball analogy, just keep hitting singles and try to peck away at this? I mean, uh, some are suggesting that the tide has turned here. Is it too early to make that call?
3: I think it's a bit still too early. I think it's fair to say it's gone neck and neck, uh, but there's a lot of people who are not fully attuned right now to what's going on in the election. So after Labor Day, we kind of chatted about, uh, we'll see a little bit more. So I think just keep, keep keep grinding, you know, hit those singles, look for some doubles and triples, I would say. Uh, if you get a home run, drive it home. Uh, and I think that's where we're going to see. I think these debates that are coming up next week with the official French and English uh, debates will, I think, play an outsized role this time around because people will want to really uh, hone in on who has their back right now.
0: Well, one week tonight, I guess, the English language debate. That's going to be fascinating. Mohammed, great to get your perspective. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Take care. Mohamed Ali, a senior consultant with uh, Crestview Strategies, talking about uh, the campaign so far. <laughs>